Hi, and welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, and in this Simply Happy Conversation, I'm talking with Alyssa. She's a leading firefighter for Fire Rescue Victoria here in Australia. Alyssa shares why clutter can be a fire risk in a home, ways to reduce fire risk in your home environment to prevent household fires. This conversation is a video recording that you can also watch on YouTube. Let's jump into this Simply Happy guest conversation. Welcome to Simply Happy Conversations. I'm Narelle King, wellness and organizational coach and yin and nidra yoga instructor. This podcast will help you create more time using organizational strategies so that you can start to simplify your life and prioritize your health. I'll be sharing conversations with other health and organizational experts and solo episodes with tips to help you simplify your life and prioritize your health. So today on Simply Happy Conversation, I have with me Alyssa. She is a firefighter and she works for Fire Rescue Victoria. And I've asked her on to chat about risks in our home and in particular looking at clutter. So thanks so much, Liz, for joining us today. No worries, Narelle. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good to talk and provide some information in relation to some fire safety in the, everyone's household. So Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. So tell us about you and what you like to do in your free time. Uh, yeah, so as you said, I'm a firefighter, so I'm a shift worker. So things I like to do in my spare time other than running my kids around to their activities <laughs> would be uh, I love training, all sorts of training, running, boxing, gym, Pilates, netball, you name it. Um, <laughs> and then also... Um, any type of hiking or camping or any anything outdoors really, which is probably consistent with my occupation. Yeah. So does it do you are you required to have a certain level of fitness as yeah. a firefighter? Um most of the work that you do uh, in firefighting does involve a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of strenuous activity, a lot of different sudden movement. Um, you need some cardiovascular fitness, up up and down stairs pulling hoses through houses. Um, we also do lots of medical response, so long spouts of CPR. Uh, so definitely uh, you need a fitness space. To... So you're actually in the perfect job, aren't you, for yourself? Yeah. <laughs> With your interests. <laughs> Time um, since we were kids. So, yeah, it's definitely suits my lifestyle. So tell us then how and why you became a firefighter. Well, I have only been a firefighter for the last seven years. Before that, I was in the police force for nearly 17 years. So I do love emergency services, serving the community, uh, assisting people at their hardest times. I find that really rewarding. Um, And anything that's outdoors and just has a purpose to it, really an underlying good purpose. I think I swapped over because I thought that I really wanted to, um, I'd achieved everything I wanted to in policing and I wanted to expand my skill set. So firefighting has a lot of different areas that you can branch into. Um, I've done road rescue and rope kind of rescue, which is like steep angles, people, you know, outdoors or industrial rescues. Uh, and that's a really interesting field to get into and, and and house fires and that they're, they're interesting things to learn about and work on. And so what do you love more about the firefighting compared to the detective work that you, you were doing beforehand? Or is there a lot uh, of similar overlay? 
Uh, I think they're, they're similar in that they are community, like community and emergency services, uh, and they have a purpose of just helping people in their worst times. I think the community probably have a lot more support for firefighting, and that's definitely a benefit. I think firefighting rosters and lifestyle are probably easier than what police face, um, especially current police officers. Uh, and I think it was just they're equally as rewarding um, and I think it's just really good to start a new skill set and challenge yourself in different areas. Do you say that they're both as physical as each other or would you say firefighter is more physical? Uh, uh, policing is definitely definitely physical. I'd say firefighting is more is more challenging, physically challenging. Yeah. And how long is a shift usually that you work? Yeah, so firefighters, and this is all across Australia, which is good, um, but very consistent. So there are four shifts per roster for all firefighting agencies, and each of those four shifts will do two day shifts and two night shifts in an eight-hour. We do eight-hour week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sorry, eight-day weeks. Yeah. Two 10-hours and two 14-hour night shifts in an uh, eight-day week. Wow. That's huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Well, it gets it all done in sort of technically four and a half days yeah. and then, you know, your three and a half days of recovery and then you're back on shift and you work with the same people. Okay. So you have a family, which is really good as well. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, that connection with each other and know what's going on outside of each other's lives and to be able to support each other, which yeah. I'm sure you need to with kids, juggling kids, as well as that type of job. Yeah, and just create a really good team environment. It's, it's firefighting is all teamwork. You don't do any of it by yourself. Yeah, it's all team based work. So yeah, you do have to live like a family when you're at work. Yeah. So then, t- tell us about what are some of the top causes of house fires here in Australia? Um, in Australia, in a, in, in a residential area, obviously we're sort of generalising rather than you know. The inner city of Melbourne, or that, or the rural areas of Australia. I think generally it's usually internal kitchen fires, and mainly people not managing their cooking, either walking away from their cooking, letting underestimating the type of products they cook, or you know oils or fats or something, the amount that they cook with. Uh, as I said, they leave it undertended. Sometimes it has to do with the type, you know, whether it's whether they're cooking with gas or electricity and they haven't chosen the right area for that. Sometimes even people from uh, different backgrounds won't understand the, you know, the way the houses are constructed in Australia and bring barbecues or electric oh, yeah. appliances inside their house to cook. So, yeah, generally the kitchen area. The kitchen area. And so does it change in different parts of Australia, like you would said before, in the rural area? Is it a different type of fire that you'd find out there? Yeah, well, I think if you went into more like, as you probably have seen in Australia, if, if you're living in a more bush or grass predominant area country, then you would be more impacted by forest, bush, grass. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in terms of your everyday residential community, you're probably more impacted by, you know, kitchen a kitchen fire, your heating, overloading your electrical points. Nowadays we're seeing some of the um, EV, you know, electric scooters, bikes being oh, yeah. left overheating. So they're more of your typical residential um, fires. Yes, and that's what I see. So I see the electrical cords and then the power board loaded up with like say maybe seven extension cords that are then running off with more extension cords connected to that extension cord and um, just to be able to reach from a power point that 
has no only has enough access for say the one hand to have got in there and so then it's got the cords coming off from it yeah Um, and we do see that and 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 you're right, overloading electrical appliances or electrical power, um, you know, your 24-volt system, yep. I'm sorry, is another cause of house fires as well. And, and also n- not buying, like you might buy a cheaper power board that can't accommodate yep. a load of the appliances that you're putting into that power board. And so that's going to overheat, generate heat. Uh, and as you said, if it's overloaded and it's heating up, um, depending on the type, you know, if you're in, a, in an environment that has a lot of other furniture or material around it then that can heat up as well and then that'll get to an ignition point and start a fire yeah that's exactly what I've felt and seen a lot of in some of the homes that I've worked in which is quite scary which is exactly why I was like I need to get you on to chat about um about this so tell us about how clutter can cause and house fires so that that whole how does a fire start just from that you you talked a little bit about you know the heat being produced but i don't yep. think people really understand how easily that can occur yeah i guess if you liken it to and i'll just put it if you if you had a a room with only concrete walls and a concrete floor then you're not going to have what we would call fuel to burn so in order when in a more cluttered environment you're going to have a lot of different types of plastics materials woods Obviously, metals don't burn as well as those other products. But in terms of household furniture, it's mainly those type of materials. If something from a kitchen or a heater, electrical appliances starts to heat up or a candle, a cigarette, often cigarette smokes are are not being extinguished correctly inside the house, can often are the cause of fires as well. You've got bedding material. So your typical lounge room or bedroom is full of all of these materials that have that are more easily combustible, say, than your concretes and your metals. So having more of that, if there is a fire that's like a, an ignition point somehow, an overheated electrical point, let's say, and that starts burning something, when you have a lot of material in that room, that material then will start to heat up as the initial fire generates. It's sort of called preheating. What do those other materials get? Once they get to a point of their own ignition point, then they are, you know, a fire affected as well. And so an entire room with more fuel or more furniture is going to be a lot heavily impacted by fire than a room with minimal furniture or fuel. So if you see your items in your house as fuel and not just furniture or uh, electrical or a kettle or a microwave or a couch, you might relate it more to mm. um, how you're living. Yeah, that's a great word to pick up on, I think, even for myself to be using, to be saying, like, this is literally fuel for a fire over here in this corner that's full of boxes and bags and items. Like, you know, maybe it's clothes that need to be donated, but they haven't actually left the house yet. You know, that's a pile waiting to be, you know, is a combustion point there, isn't it? Exactly. And if you, I guess most people are related to that. If they have, everyone's been around a fire pit and an outside fire, so they can visually recall how much if you put a little bit of wood or a little bit of mm. paper of um, something in that fire, it's going to be small. If you have a lot of things on that fire, a lot of materials, then it's going to be a bigger fire. So I guess that's a way that people can relate it to their own households. So what about with flat packs and um, some of the materials that we're using in our homes these days compared to, you know, back in the old days we'd use wood 
and it was all very much, you know, the wood materials, um, that's not happening. That's, you know, there's occasionally in people's homes they still have that. But generally I find houses have a lot of flat packs um, furniture in them now. Yeah, there's been a lot of um, material written about about the materials that we now use as furniture as opposed to what we did 20, 30 years ago where we were very wood-based or metal-based, mm. a lot of plastics, malamines and, you know, NDFs, all of different types of material. And I think Australia has really good standards in relation to what sort of furniture can be produced and there has to be sort of some fire retardant products placed into those materials when making furniture. But I think what you're alluding to is a lot lot of the cheaper products, which might be imported from overseas, might not have standards that we do. And if people aren't checking the sort of whether they have a fire retardant property inside that furniture, then they're not, they're just going to load up their house with more fuel that's probably easier to burn or quicker to burn or quicker to heat up than your traditional woods and metals. Um, And we use a lot of hardwood in um, construction of our houses and we're now moving into softer woods with furniture and um, building construction to cut costs. So they're also um, more easily burnt. Obviously, a, a, a soft wood will burn easily than a hardwood. Yeah, you- yeah. And what about the home then, like newer homes that don't have as, like they're more airtight and, you know, is that also affecting the fire fire risk within your home? Yeah, Um there's not like, much airflow, is there, through the homes as what they used to be? Does that affect it at all? Uh, definitely. Well, that can go to your advantage or disadvantage yeah. depending on where the fire started. So like an open plan home, which was our goal years ago, fire can spread more quickly through there because it's, it has access to oxygen in the next room, um, whereas the old-style houses where you could just shut off every room, if there was a fire in a room, you could seal off the oxygen to that room and move out, whereas the more modern plan, how they might have might have the fire might have already reached your bedroom through the open plan areas. The top the tighter rooms, on the other hand, could also mean if it is your bedroom and you are in there, that um, they can be oxygen starved and developed, um, and that can pose a a challenge for firefighters when a fire is oxygen starved and you want to assist someone in that room. And in order to do that, you have to add oxygen to that room. Mm. So. And then obviously you're going to fuel the fire with oxygen. So there are two, um, which is when you've seen on TV, flashovers or burnovers. Or, so we're sort of, I guess it's being aware of your own mm. house and your own environment and, you, and your own construction and making, I guess, your fire plan, which every family should have, knowing um, where runs bedrooms are located in relation to exit points. And if a fire started in certain areas of the house, which are the best exit points to go to and why? So making a safety point once you're out of the house. Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, that's like awesome tip to have as thinking about the exits. So have you got some other tips around helping families to reduce fire risk within their homes? Yeah, I think, um, and, I, and I know this from experience, when you go into a house that's smoked log, it's very difficult for firefighters to see. And so we do we do have um, thermal imaging devices to help us. But if we have to clamour over items on the ground, furniture to find people or find different rooms and drag our um, hoses in and other firefighting equipment, it's very difficult. Whereas if we have a clear path into a house and we're able to access each room, then we're going to 
uh, affect a rescue um, or or reduce the fire impact in that house more quickly. Mm. All of your exits not only clear for the owners of the house but for firefighters is really important. Yeah, that's a great point that the firefighters need the space because in some houses I've been in, there's no way a firefighter could hurl a cord and the hose through because there's not enough space. You know, there's barely enough space for a person to walk through. Yeah, and if you're tripping over things on the ground um, or banging into things, it just creates further obstruction. And yeah. also um, when there's more fuel, there's more heat, there's more fire. So it it's triple impacting all of that as well. Yeah. So if they've got their exits, I think they know about their exits, where they would use, and also just thinking about that in relation to people coming into their home, such as a firefighter. Have you got any other tips that they could do to reduce fire risk in their home? Yeah. Also, um, people tend to like store things that shouldn't be stored in their house. Sometimes if, if there is a clutter-filled environment, they might store chemicals or paints or garden products um gas bottles we've found inside houses so all of those really dangerous things should be should be stored away from the house in a back shed or something but people people do have a lack of understanding around those type of products yeah and you can find them in houses oh they're in all houses (laughs) i can vouch for that i've seen them in people's homes because they don't have a garage or they don't or the other issue is they might have a garage or shed, but it's so full of clutter and boxes from maybe their move from five years ago that they haven't even had the time to go through and it just feels so overwhelming. So those items are then brought into the home and found a home within the home because there's yeah. no room in the garage is is definitely something that I see. And I guess, I guess another thing coming into winter is we do get more. So over the winter period, you would get more house fires that related to people's choice of heating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the typical one of putting the clothes in front of their, their source of heating, everyone sort of knows about, but also overloading, um, heating, not extinguishing the fires in the house before people go to bed so they're simmering away or embers are getting loose they're using bar heaters that are too close to sort of kids toys or plastics or you know the barbie that's on the floor and that's heat so making sure that whatever heating device you used the heat that radiates from that can't impact furniture that's cluttered around that as well Mm, that's a great point because i do see that a lot i see lots of bar heaters and you know, close to to items or even items over the top drying. You know, they might be in your kid's room or their nursery and they've got lots of soft toys or toys Mm. in there that they're not realising, blankets, things like that that are too close. Yeah, definitely. They are definitely, they are awesome points. And do you have any more before we go? Uh, I think the most, the thing that I guess we want everyone to really know especially if they are in homes that are flooded you must still have your fire exit strategy um also because of the amount of fuel that you've got in your house you're going to generate a lot of heat and a lot of smoke more heat with more fuel so we need them to get really really low to the ground when they are leaving their house because that's where the cooler air is and they're going to be less likely to have an effect on their lungs with the smoke and heat so down low and go, go, go. go. <laughs> we go and see in schools, but it's really applicable to households as well because we do find people with smoke inhalation issues when we come as well that have got out. And what about smoke alarms? 
Have you got, because someone else was telling me they've got these new smoke alarms that have a different sound than what they did in the past. Is that true? I, d- I just, they were saying mine's a new one. It's got some special feature. And I was like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, the only thing I know, I think if they have made, because uh, I think if you're hearing impaired or okay. you're, um, you're hearing compromised, you might be elderly, you don't respond to the alarms in the same way, then you can, uh, then they do make different sounds for people with different needs that's sort of the area that only area that I know about yeah no Uh, that's what it was she had a hearing aid and she was saying that it was a new fire alarm that she'd been given to put up and I was like oh yeah but she didn't really know why she was just like I was given this new um thing so I was like oh I wonder what they're all about what they're new elderly can also get a a smoke alarm that will link to their personal activation device so if they're and then the smoke alarm goes off they might might not respond to it but their it can be linked to their personal alarm and then they can trigger their personal alarm that's uh, yeah that's another that's a, that's a great feature yeah that maybe people aren't aware of either yeah and it's just um i guess getting in touch with your services if you're uh you, you know ndis or somewhere impaired they have those different features that they can offer in their houses yeah. So how can people find out any more if they wanted more information? Is there somewhere that they could go to? The FRE, the Fire Rescue Victoria website, definitely has a lot of information. Also, the Country Fire Authority has a lot of information. And then there are a lot of fire independent fire services that will do audits on people's houses and provide our fire service equipment at, at your own cost. So there's a broad, there's a broad range of uh, information that you can obtain. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, actually, one quick question. Where can people take their fire extinguishers that are out of date if they want to recycle them? Do you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, they can't take them to the fire station. So we have a fire services um, agency like a private contractor that will come and pick up our old extinguishers and replace them. So you would just find your local independent fire services operator and get them exchanged that way. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for your time today and all of your information and knowledge that you've shared. It's so great to have you on. No, it's good to see you, Narelle. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me for today's Simply Happy Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, then I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review. This helps others find it who are also looking for tips and organizational strategies to simplify their life and prioritize their health. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss future episodes. You can also connect with me over at simplyhappy.com.au. I'd like to acknowledge the Wathaurong people of the Kulin Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of the land. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging.